Escape from Plan A. Hey, welcome back, listeners. Another Escape for Plan A episode for you. I'm your host, Chris. I'm here with Teen. What's up, Teen? Hey, what's up? And one of our previous guests, John Biceps Bye. What's up, John? <laughs> That nickname is still sticking, huh? Yeah, and thank you so much for trekking all the way. What is this? Uh, Hurricane Henri. Oh, I just uh, I've been saying Henry. Oh, but it's it's spelled with an I. I think you're supposed to say Henri. Hey, or or I'm else you, you're just a you're just an uncultured clod if you don't Apparently. do it. But uh, it, yeah, it was it's been a pretty it's been a pretty wet last couple of days, right? Um, yesterday I was taking the subway and I saw the walls like bleeding water. I it, saw a clip from that. There's a there's an Instagram account called What Is New York. And it just shows you all the, you know, the locals swimming through to cross the street and all that. That's yeah, fun. yeah, it, it was very, it was very, very. I have wet, not but... been in the subway f- for like a year and a half. Wait, not not even once. Nope, I don't oh, go in wow. the subway. I've not been in the subway for like. Well, over how a do year. you get around? Well, I guess you have a car, so that's yeah. That's I just rely on a car now. That explains why you were shaming me for being late because I took the subway. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> but biceps, you weren't late. You were you were very on time actually. Yeah, just exceptionally wet <laughs> wait so how does this work because like gyms are closed did you like lose your biceps are you not jacked anymore uh, i'm or looking at uh, uh, listeners i'm jacked? in the same room with with john right now his arms look better than ever i must say i moved into a, a building that has a gym in the basement so or uh, i guess not basement, the lobby okay. uh so i just passed the time that way mm. uh, yeah I, I gotta go back i got an all soft but you know it's like <laughs> you know, it's a health hazard, you know, and and the, the excuse I was using to stay out has now become legit again because of Delta. So I, I don't even I don't even know if I'm lying to myself anymore. Or I'm actually Do you remember the truthful. last time we potted in that like dank room in like, yeah, LIC? yeah, John and I was just talking about it. I can't forget it. that. That was if, horrible. Okay, <laughs> if that was the era of COVID, we would have given each other COVID. We would have just swapped it back and forth for hours, and then we would have died. We have gotten the Zeta variant just by being there. <laughs> yeah. They've gone through so many permutations. Well, I, see, yeah. I think the thing that maybe you guys weren't aware of, I was also incredibly hungover that morning. Oh, you seemed, you handled yourself so, well. I couldn't tell. All right. Well, yeah, that was, that was a very hot, uh, small, hot room. And thankfully, we got, I think, pretty much the equipment they got, and now in the nice air-conditioned pleasures of my room i mean teen you're not here but um hopefully soon we'll we'll go back to recording in person yeah i want to come over i just had to go to a birth i had to go to go to uh, a birthday party right before this so yeah, yeah. plus yeah. you live kind of far away and yes. it's like terrible weather so yeah yeah uh, traffic would have been killer uh, so, so this episode, I don't know if, if we're gonna be releasing like right after it or so. Like recently, we did a podcast on cultural appropriation because of this thing that happened with uh, Pippa Middlehurst and her book Doodles and Dumplings. I did an episode with Millie and Trevor from Champagne Sharks where we talked about kind of like the the more like the the bad faith actors who are ruining this debate. So with this episode, we want to talk about the actual legit aspects that are at the heart of this and that you know people who aren't like the people who instigated some of the some of the stuff before uh you know even if it sounds alike to people especially like the david froms and, and jeff yang's whom we'll talk about later uh there is fundamentally at its core there i think we are talking about different things so 
Uh, Teen, you wanna you wanna take it away? No, I I think John should take it away because he's the one that DM'd me out of the blue and was like, "We need to talk about this." And I said, "Wow, that must mean you've got some thoughts about it." What are you? What what prompted you to uh, hit me up and say like, "Yo, let's just jump on a pod and, and hash it out." I think the fact that you were tweeting a lot more than than usual was the main thing. But and oh. and you know, disclaimer: I'm no I'm no Millie or or T, but. Uh, I will do my best. But Chris, were you, were you going to say something? Oh, I was going to ask you, like, when, when did this DM happen? What, was it like before this, uh, this like, Pippa Middlehurst incident? Or no, no, no. Was it, it during... was after. It was in the wake of It was after. That. Yeah. And, oh, yeah. And, and, you know, at this time, Teen had changed his his uh, profile picture on Twitter and his username. I found it really clever. It's like a New York Times. It's like a play on the New York Times controversial Asian headlines type of thing. I mean, how would you describe that? Oh, it's just uh, there's this thing called the New York Times pitch bot that just like shoots out, you know, New York Times sounding type headlines. And I thought I'd do that for the Asia Pacific section because there's a certain, you know, bullshit style that goes into it. But <laughs> I was, you know, I mean, I wasn't really doing it in that, guys. I was more looking at what was going on with people attacking Roslyn and, you know, and I'm not trying to defend her account. I mean, she's I, she's got me blocked for sure. And. Uh, you know, I don't, I do not enjoy her timeline. <laughs> I don't enjoy her tweets. They're not my, they're not my thing. But I think we're, we're, we're trying to discuss it kind of in a, in a vacuum, right? I was like with the removal of these players, uh, the, t- the tweet. Yeah, the- Cause I think that, you know, and this happened, I think if you go earlier to that, that cheap uh, you know, thing with the, with the girl on Instagram who went to prom wearing the chipao and people got very mad and there was a lot of uh very incoherent anger coming yep. from a lot of asian people about it and then there was this sort of like sort of the white knight of white people coming in like the phil the what, what's his name uh phil, um oh wong is it the wong fu guy no 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 the guy that uh we were just talking about it the, the um jeff yang jeff yang yeah sorry the uh, the Jeff Yangs would come in and be like, you know, oh the the reaction by Asian people was shocking and shameful, and I think he even at one point, and then he you know Wikipedia'd Chipao uh, and wrote a whole clearly did about his it, as if he knew as if he knew it, but I think the, you know the one thing that really pissed me off in his response on CNN, you know, was where where he said that you know I he thinks that. Uh, you know, the critics of the young woman who wore the chipao may actually be less knowledgeable about the dress uh, than she is. Because after all, Daum, who was the girl who, who, who wore it, has referenced the chipao's association with female empowerment as one of the reasons she chose to wear it. Meaning the critics of it don't understand that about the chipao or whatever. And it was just like, it's just idiots. Like, like both sides of this fucking debate are fucking idiots. And, you know... I thought, you know, maybe we should have a discussion where we actually try to offer some helpful analysis of what cultural appropriation actually is. And rather than doing what a Jeff Yang does, which is to to sort of assess the situation and go, which side has better optics here? Oh, the Asian people are incoherent and they're just like being unreasonable mm-hmm. here and they're attacking a 16-year-old girl. Granted, that's true. But his mm-hmm. instinct, of course, is then to be like, I'm going to white knight for the white people. And I'm like, no, the white people are fucked up because and, – and we have – I think, we, Raul, we have this uh, David Frum article in The Atlantic kind of teed up that we should talk about called Every Culture Appropriates where I think that 
cultural appropriation when t- when you take the long view of it is a is a pretty serious thing right and 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 no yeah. one for example would jump in and make the kind of uh kind of gaslighting things that they say about asian cultural appropriation that they would say about native american cultural appropriation or black or uh, or or appropriation of black culture i think the same liberals who are now saying wow you guys really have taken cu- cultural appropriation and jump you know jump the shark with it and it, this is just pathetic now and you've destroyed the idea well they wouldn't have they won't say that about native american headdress or black music right but when the Asians do it and we do it about something that white people don't think that they owe us anything on, then they can attack us, not for the purposes of defending their right to claim the chi pao or the mahjong tile or the dumpling recipe or whatever, but because they want to discredit the entire notion of white cultural theft altogether. And so in this Atlantic article by David Frum that, that, that says that every culture appropriates, this is, there's nothing wrong with this. He goes from talking about the Chi Pao thing, you know, saying like, oh, this ridiculous uh, event uh, with, the, with these people that are hyperventilating about a dress that they don't even understand. And of course, David Frum explains to us what a Chi Pao actually is to this sentence, the great. And this is in a list of, of uh, examples of how all cultures uh, 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 steal and borrow the great West African kingdom of Benin acquired the medal for some of its famous bronze artworks by selling thousands of peoples as slaves to Portuguese traders. The fuck is he talking about? He's talking here. He went from the Chipao incident to, oh, slavery was something that Africans taught Europeans to do. So that's my point. I think, I think that the David Frum article sets up the, we sh- it, should, it should signal to us that there is something more important, a deeper principle at stake here, a historical claim that Asian people are being used as the weakest link so that white people can attack that whole notion. And so I think we, instead of feeling like cultural appropriation is either, you know, oh, white people are just, you know, fucking hate Asian people or, uh, oh, it's no big deal. Like, I don't know, you know, I think some Asian people are just oversensitive. We should look, we should, we owe it to everyone to examine cultural appropriation uh, more deeply, try to understand what it is so that we can have a proper response to it. The thing about the, the David Frum article is if you know who David Frum is, what he believes, right. like right. pretty much one of the architects, at least uh, optics wise, he was George W. Bush's speechwriter during the invasion into Iraq for, so Knowing that, and then the stuff he, the jump he makes from, like, say, the Chipao thing, which, you know, I think a lot of people, uh, as I said in the last pod, I think a lot of it, people supported it for kind of more shallow reasons, the outrage, I mean, to make the jump to that thing you pointed out about, like, he, he brings about, like, like Chinese uh, taking over some some other, like, tribe and, and taking their dress in, like, the 1600s to all that. That is a leap that he is making, I think, off the backs of what is ultimately petty squabbling. Uh, a lot of like interpersonal grievances being shared uh, and, and thrown about. And, and you have the David Frums kind of like, like vultures just like circling uh, above and, and looking for like the point when 
both sides, I guess, have exhausted each other and then they can come come in and make this argument. So that is something uh, we need to watch out for. I feel like the the actual heart of the issue is entirely separate from any of the historical aspect of it. And I, and I, I messaged you this, Teen, but like, you know, it, the ones who complain about cultural appropriation, um, valid complaint, you know, because it's something I feel is very deeply personal to these individuals. They're not doing it because the, you know, the, the Mahjong tile is incorrect or the the context for which they wore sheep. Well, maybe that was actually, you know, incorrect context to be wearing it. However, I think it's not so much emphasizing the historical aspect of it or the cultural value of it, more so the social dynamics of it. So I I know this was discussed in uh, part one, but the stinky lunch narrative, which is, this is something that I was ashamed of growing up and now it's become cool. How do I respond to this with anything except some righteous indignation towards it. I think so much of it is rude. And and this is a topic that I'm curious about, which is, you know, once the once the second gen, uh, you know, child of immigrants are all grown up and, and we have our own kids who are who are the ones, you know, reacting to social situations, would they care? Yeah, I, I think, John, you brought up, you, you bring up, I think, the, the crux of my irritation with this debate is that Honestly, the whole um, more second generation focused interpersonal grievance thing, I don't think is worth a whole lot. I think the whole we're enabling the David Frums to uh, become apologists for Western imperialism is much more serious and actually worth having. But I think the, the first group, because they know their discussion is is kind of weak and a little petty latch on to the legitimacy of the second part of the uh, argument, which is, hey, you know what? What if some some white people essentially use something like uh, some dumpling incident to uh, say, you know what? Uh, white slave, you know, white uh, enslavement of Africa by white people. Uh, they were, you know, it was just cultural appropriation of, of Arab slave traders. It's, it's all the same thing. That is, you know, a real fucked up thing to say. Uh, so that's, that's my my problem with with a lot of the how we what we call cultural appropriation debates right now yeah though i think i mean yeah i think we should disentangle uh you know bad faith uh because i think rosalind was was engaging this in bad faith because i've seen like her claim doesn't is consistent by her own terms where she's you know often said that um you know, like East Asian culture is, uh, you know, East Asians and are do not represent Southeast Asians. We like we we we've got to disentangle the two, and, and East Asians often um, overshadow or eclipse um, or obscure Southeast Asian identity, and so we've got to separate the two. Um, but in this case, we're talking about a, a book that was really about Chinese and Japanese cooking. So, like. In her own, by her own terms, which I'm not agreeing with, by the way, but like her own terms, it, I'm just pointing that out because it shows like, I don't think she's doing this in good faith. And I think Rosalind mm-hmm. is a bit of a grifter online. And, and at the end of the day, a bit, uh, yeah, like a- after all of this, <laughs> she, basically, she basically set up, you know, uh, said, oh my God, like, you know, I've been attacked. Here's my, here's my, uh, you know, PayPal link. Give me some money. I'm like, uh, like, just get the fuck out of here. But, that, that part's kind of interesting, though, right? Like, mm-hmm. this was also discussed in part one, but the 
disproportionate reaction to the two parties. The defense of the the white women involved much more much more heavily outweighed the support for the Asian woman in this situation. Yeah, because it's Roslyn. And, it's hard to. I mean, there's a lot okay, of but but you know, I there's think a lot of even people who are just like I don't like Roslyn. You know, and that's fair. I, yeah, that's true. Mm-hmm. That's true. I but, did but, see a but couple. Then, but then I thought the problem was in Josh Luna, um, you know, the illustrator, um, yeah, yeah. came in with a tweet that I thought was a real problem, saying like, "All of you people need to stop defending her against the white." mob that's harassing her because she doesn't deserve it and i'm like it's not really about defending rosalind i don't give a fuck about her personally but i'm saying like this idea that the her white the white mob coming in to attack her online somehow is on the right side of this you know it just tells me that this is definitely a situation where the 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 thing that people are fighting about online the turn and let's take Rosalind out of it let's go back to the Chipo incident because I thought that had less to do with you know a clearly problematic individual that was like some young guy that came up with it he, he wasn't really out for cloud or whatever I mean he yeah I think I, he, was I think being he might have even been like a young college student you know he he wasn't was that the uh, my my culture is not your yeah costume? I, yeah or if he yeah. was he, he he wasn't so yeah. He wasn't as pro, you know. It, it wasn't haters. as intentional. Yeah, built-in right? haters, yeah. So, so yeah. are you trying to discuss the the results of it? Where, where, and I noticed this too, which is the the perpetrator of the incident gets all the acknowledgement or the media spotlight. All the support comes in for this girl who wore the chipao. There's no acknowledgement or even discussion with the people who are taking offense to this situation. Is, is that what you're getting at? What I'm getting at, yeah. What I'm getting at is, well, one, I don't think either side of this has, they're thinking about this in the same way, which is a sense of ownership over cultural products. Because in each case, we're talking about some kind of IP, some kind of cultural product like a cheap hao or a mahjong tile or Chinese food or whatever. But it's a thing. We're, we're fighting over a thing. And it, it always comes down to this thing. And we call it cultural appropriation because we believe that you can actually steal someone's culture by appropriating an item that was produced by that culture. And that it becomes now this issue of like, who owns this thing? And it's just a very, in my opinion, a very strange way to think about culture where cult and, but I guess it makes sense because in, in, in America and in a lot of places we've mistaken cultural products for culture. And I think part of it has to do with, and I think it's very interesting that like native Asians don't really care about this, but second gen assimilated Asians are very freaked out about it is because when you mistake cultural products for culture, then you get this worry that you can steal my culture. You can steal it from me by taking the thing. And I think that that speaks to a a cultural insecurity that is part of the, um, process of assimilation in america it's not just about asian people it is a process of assimilation into america and losing your culture and part of that is having your cultural tokens and items taken away from you so i feel like i'm i'm a good case study in this situation right you 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 tweeted something similar to that entire uh, paragraph that you just spoke which was the the identity is linked with the products or I, i don't know what you call objects associated with that culture. Um, and I responded, I was just like, 
it, it me or something like that. But um, I, I feel like I'm similar, right? Second gen. Yeah. I grew up speaking Chinese. I've gone back to China multiple times. Um, I embrace certain elements of said culture. Um, and part of that is the the products that it produces, like the food. I feel some ownership over that. Um, I decorated my apartment with like, you know, this lucky cat. You know, there, there's certain aspects of some calligraphy paintings um, to the reinforce with the arm. Y- yeah. I mean, it's it's a it's a designer version of that lucky cat. But um, yeah, I just like the way it looks. And I think it also represents something more personal to me in terms of identity. Um, but that that is, you know, I am that type of person that you are describing, because in an effort to claim or reclaim my heritage, I am latching onto these objects. Um, and so, you know, I, I do feel some personal stake in it when I guess other people claim it without the baggage that is behind it that I've experienced. Yeah, I thought I had actually very recently, I think it was maybe even this morning, I woke up with this thought is that we talk about this as a as like a fight to kind of like define what Asian culture is. But Really, it's a fight to define what Asian American culture is because we know what Asian culture is. And I think that's why Asians in Asia really don't give a damn about, uh, uh, especially like a, like a knockoff, cheap, you know, like $20 dress or whatever you, you buy in America. And um, it, actually, John, I, I know you kept referring to part one of this episode. Uh, part two is actually available on our Patreon which uh, you everyone should subscribe to if you haven't That's already. That's the second part of the conti- of of the uh, right, right. Oh, I see. With I see. and Millie. Right. Yeah, yeah. So I think it was in that second part. Uh, T brings up this uh, model of it, it's like shaped like an iceberg, and it represents culture. And at the tip of the iceberg, you have the most obvious elements like food, dance, dress, uh, etc. But in in the much uh, deeper, bigger part of the iceberg, you have things like. I don't know, uh, respect for your friends. Um, right. Even things, you know, social customs, like who who pays on, if, if you take out your friends for di- dinner or birthday, who pays? You know, that's mm-hmm. very different. Like in Korea, if it's your birthday uh, and you invite your friends out, the birthday person pays, which to Americans sounds totally uh, the opposite because in, in America, it's the other way around. But all of that, if you're an Asian American, um, is either irrelevant or it's like you can't, ever have that because you can't change the minds of the americans around you you can't tell them actually in in like vietnam well, we do things or they do things this way you all should do that the only thing you have left is the cone hats or the or the the bon me right so i think what we're really trying to fight to define is asian american culture which is why asians in asia react so differently yeah i think that, that that's, that's that's totally captures what i i'm thinking here which is you know if you go to even the most authentic Chinese restaurant in, you know, the heart of Flushing or something like that in New York city. And you go with a bunch of, uh, you know, American friends, like assimilated American friends, either Asian or white or black or whatever. But the key being that they're assimilated into, you know, American culture. It's not the same, even though you're getting there at the same restaurant, ordering the same dish. It's not the same experience at all as going with, Chinese people, right? It's not the same because like you said, it's, it's not about just the dish. It's about how you, uh, socialize and who gets to and, eat first, you know, it's like, yeah, does it matter who, even, you know, and how you're even, what you're even talking about during dinner, you know, like what, he, you know? And so I think like, I think that what happens here is that we just take it very personally because we don't, 
connect what's going on in terms of that feeling of discomfort that we get when we see cultural appropriation happening, especially by white people. We are not able to connect that discomfort with broader concepts, historical concepts that affect everyone because I think when you said this thing to define Asian American culture, I kind of, I, yeah, I agree. That's what people are doing. I don't think that's what they should be doing because that no, leads us to crying in H Mart. That leads yeah. us to <laughs> this, you know, I, I haven't this, read it, so don't spoil it. Yeah. It's, I, I it's tried a real to read it. Um, we, we might pot about it, but I don't, yeah. I don't even Page know if Turner. it's worth potting about. Yeah. But you, you, you already know what you're going to get. It's going to be this very like, you know, you know this 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 very like melodramatic, you know, exhibitionism of one's internal pain and suffering, and nobody understands me, and I'm a fucking snowflake of suffering, and that doesn't lead anywhere. That doesn't fucking go anywhere. That's why they've been stuck producing the same shitty book for decades now. Because where, where are you going? You just keep digging in and in and in. And what the fuck is the point here? You're just telling everyone you will never understand me. What's the point? <laughs> well, but, what is you know, the part fucking of, point? There you know? is some relatability to that, right? I mean, I have plenty of Asian women friends who, with whom it clearly resonates. Um, and, and I think that leads me to the next question, which is, what is the proper response then that you would? What would you consider a proper response? I mean, I, even now as we're discussing it, I'm like. You know, there are instances or incidents where I I feel strongly. There are incidents where I, I I'm very much like there. There was another tweet. This one didn't get as much attention, but it was about some probably white dude who was making soy sauce, and there was no reference or reverence, I suppose, for Asian culture in that. But I was like, I mean, how you know, soy sauce is associated with Asia. Someone wants to make soy sauce. Is it better for them to lean into the Asian side or lean as far away as possible? Either way, you're going to get backlash. Um, anyway, my, my question is overall, what is the appropriate response after we define, you know, even even where this Asian American second gen um, well, I think toward cultural appropriation comes from? I think with a white guy making soy sauce, the first question is, what can you actually do about it? And the, the answer is nothing. There's no, you don't have any legal rights to this shit. You can't sue them for making soy sauce and be like, yo, that only belongs to Asian people. That doesn't, you just, what can you actually do? That's why we, there's nothing you can do. That's why we end up going, you know, uh, going in and um, intentionally wrecking someone's reviews on Yelp or, you know, trying to, trying to uh, blow them up on Twitter or whatever. So the question is, is that what we want? Is that just a future where anytime a white person does some shit that we don't like, we just go and attack them as a mob online. Is that what we want? Some people want that. Okay. I don't think that's really going to go anywhere. I think that's the same route as crying in H Mart. If that's what we do, that's all we're ever going to be able to do. We're just going to be this crazed mob online. Uh, and, we, and we're going to be the weakest link because we're going to be so easily mocked. And we will destroy the credibility of people who have been taking this seriously. So I think maybe the first thing is like, proper response it's like okay what are your options and i think that there has to be some acknowledgement here that there's really nothing you can do about it if they want to take quote your cultural your culture i i don't think of it that way i don't think they're taking your culture i think they're taking your cultural products 
and and you know using them for their own purposes. If you don't like that, honestly, the 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 answer is fucking deal with it. It's America. That it's just what happens here, and it's it's happened to everyone. I mean, you remember that like. Uh, Chris, you probably remember this uh, uh, Sopranos episode where they go to Starbucks and Paulie gets all yeah, upset. And Paulie complains about the espresso. Yeah, classic yeah. scene. <laughs> yeah, fucking espresso. Um, and he's upset that Italians didn't make that money. He's like some fucking white, some fucking white people did. At yeah. the end of the scene, remember how he gets even? He steals like a kettle. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's like fuck him. <laughs> I remember uh, he told he told the uh, he tried to threaten the the manager, and he was like, "What? What do you think would happen to your nice store if we uh, broke your knees? If you couldn't come in tomorrow?" He's like, "Corporate would probably just send someone else." <laughs> 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 you're gonna get you're gonna get assimilated. Chinese culture, Korean culture, all that shit is going into the black hole of culture that is America. It's gonna get. We're past the event horizon. I mean, just deal with the physics of it. There's no going back. You know, that's that's number one. I, I do think we're probably at the point of diminishing returns where 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 it comes to attempting to cancel certain players in this space. Um, but I don't know if I'm personally okay with the sentiment that there's nothing you can do about it because I don't know. Using Hollywood as an example. You, you you make enough noise and you can get representation, right? Um, the people, you know, I know I know playing into the buying power of Asians and and in the system of capitalism maybe isn't the most you know exciting topic, but but I feel like there is something you can do with this outcry or the outrage that you have. You can channel it towards more productive ways of accomplishing what your intended purpose is i I mean feel free to disagree i'm just i'm just saying no i agree with it i'm just saying you're swimming against the current here you know i mean i think mm -hmm. oh uh, to answer john's question i I think it's also the reason why i think it's so important to really isolate like what is the good aspects of this argument and what's what's like the who are like people advancing the actual goals we want who are not i mean Tina, you brought up crying in h mart and asian american culture i mean i because my suspicion is that a, a lot of people right now out there the most visible people on like social media stirring up the most uh like brouhaha over his cultural appropriation stuff are the people who want asian american culture to be like crying in h mart they want to be the ones who have that kind of like exclusive right to to sell this version of Asian Americanness, which I think is absolute garbage. I mean, you you, you think so as well? Because what we end up is crying in H Mart. And just to bring it back to H Mart, um, I was just like going. So I have like a bookmarks of all these articles I come across. Uh, most of them bad. Uh, I just I just feel like I, I need to keep an archive of them in case I ever need to go back to them. And I found one by this writer named Larissa Pham, whose name uh, immediately rang a bell because remember. Uh, Teen, you and I, we, we did that episode with Trevor on on that horrible Playboy uh, kink story and then that anthology. Anyway, Larissa Pham is a writer who has a thing in that anthology. And she wrote this review of the movie To All the Boys I've Loved Before. And he, she talks about how, remember that scene where, where the may, uh, male character drinks Yakult? And, um, I remember and, that scene. It, it felt so out of place in the entire Right, film. right. But there was a whole like, a whole, like media class just gushed over that scene and they said oh my god this is such uh, a beautiful um, embarrassing I, embarrassing I, I hated that and 
and I, this is this is the thing that that really makes me distrust these people. I think the the same people who love that scene uh, get pissed off about like the cheap pow and the and and this uh, Pippa Metalheart. I think if you call that cultural appropriation, that was way worse as cultural appropriation because not only was it was it just like white people doing something against Asians, it was like an Asian person, or, whether you're talking about the writer or the character, letting in. Uh, a white person of the opposite gender, no less, uh, based on the most flimsiest of of uh, like criteria. Oh, you drank the sugary treat, therefore you are now Asian. You get to essentially have equal standing with Asian men in our community. That is way worse, in my opinion, on a, of cultural so you're celebrating so, celebrating the validation is worse than. So I, I, my, my, I'm saying that. If we're if this is the reason why um, it's important to like root out the like the the people who aren't making the right arguments who are going for the wrong goal is because I think what they want is this Asian American culture that's totally bullshit. In which case, I say uh, if it's going to be bullshit all the way, I, I really don't care if like white people are in it or not. Like if, if let 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 some douchebag make soy sauce or make make noodles or whatever. Yeah, no, I look, I yeah, that is that is inconsistent, and that is the that that would be that would be expected when people don't really have have a, a good grasp of what's actually going on here. And but but here's the thing is like, OK, we could point out the, and this is this was in my mind when I was listening to um, the part with Trevor Millie is like, OK, we can point out these inconsistencies. We can point out how, you know, our current understanding or, or attitude about cultural appropriation can yield can yield some very contradictory and inconsistent responses, which points to uh, perhaps we don't really care about the issue the way that we say we do or we don't really understand the issue or whatever. Fine. I mean, that's that's uh, step one, I guess, or whatever. But but the thing is, ultimately, like what? And this goes to John's question. Then what is the right response? What what do we do? And I think what I'm trying to say here is that number one is like, okay, you got to look at what you can do and realize there honestly isn't that much you could do about it. It is you are ultimately like Pauly Pauly Walnuts going to Starbucks and being mad that someone else made billions of dollars off of your national coffee culture. Right. And, and your, your, your words, like all of a sudden Americans are walking around going, ah, venti, I'll have a venti, you know, and then you're like, you know, what, what, it, what it's like Americans going around, uh, you know, ordering shit with like, you know, weird uh, bastardized Chinese words. Okay. There's not much you could do about this in America is my point. It is going to happen. Also, so, remember that, uh-huh. Uh, just, just interject. Remember that episode yeah. when Polly actually goes back to Italy and he and he tries to fit in. Yeah, and that's he a great feels episode. miserably. <laughs> that's, He's it's, such it's a, great episode, a perfect yeah. avatar of like second generation. He is uh, people, but he's such an appealing <laughs> character in his own right. You know what I mean? And I think here's the thing is that with the and I bring up the Polly Walnuts thing because it's like this is part of being an American. It is not unique to Asians. Europeans have also had their their cultures assimilated. They've personally had the culture sucked out of them until they're just husks of, you know, just they're just husks of them, their former their ancestors and they become Pauli. You know, this happens in America. It is a place that sucks the culture out of you and then commodifies it. And that so, is the nature of the society around us and I don't think we can be so equivocal anymore about what america really is about and so i think we have to think about number one that 
what we experience as the discomfort of the cultural appropriation of Asian culture is part of assimilation. So if we don't like it, if we don't like the feeling of cultural appropriation, which is a valid response, it's, an, it's a gut emotional response, it's because we don't really like the process of, assim, of assimilation. And we should probably rethink uh, assimilation itself. And then number two is, I think we got to start thinking about the way that this is affected by uh, living in a, in a capitalist society, which engages in what was called commodity fetishism, which is this, in the context of cultural appropriation, is this huge cognitive shift where we mistake cultural products for culture, which is what we go went back in the very beginning when we were talking about how, you know, we have the little, and, you know, uh, Ali Wong made this uh, joke in her special about her and her Asian husband have calligraphy on the walls and stuff. And then they bought it at Pier 1 Imports. And then, you know, after they, after they decorated their apartment with that shit, they were like, I feel like a white person that is pretending to be Asian because you in America are encouraged to believe that culture can be captured in products. And, and that, and this is goes right to Marxist commodity fetishism is the cognitive shift where people go from having real social relations to those social relations being in our minds captured in the exchange of products. So we, we go from a, a, a system of social relations replaced with a system of commodity relations is what's going on. And if that's, that's not an easy, pithy answer to, hey, what do I do when a white guy starts making soy sauce and I don't like it? But what I'm saying is like, you know, the feeling of discomfort that we get is not crying in H Mart. It is more like... Marx's capital. Okay, it's this is deep shit. It's not shallow crying in H Mart shit. This is deep fucking shit. And it is the process of assimilating into a capitalist into a late capitalist society like America. It is like the it's the big issue, which is why I'm railing against this notion that it's just this side thing that it's not a big deal like oh, you know, these people are just overreacting or it's just interpersonal shit or whatever. I'm like yeah, maybe for some people it is, but for people who then go on top of that and say, actually, it's nothing. I mean, it's a white guy making soy sauce. Just fucking deal with it. I'm like, yeah, it's a white guy making soy sauce. It's also Starbucks making coffee. It is ultimately a big fucking deal. And we should think more deeply about it. I guess my answer is I just don't like how we've made it into a small issue. When so it so is the a, conclusion on the biggest of issues. The cl- conclusion I'm drawing from from the way you're describing it is on the one hand, there's nothing you can do or, or nothing beneficial comes from complaining about it. However, you know, in, in all the talk about living in a late capitalist society in America, I, I think the solution that you can, you know, co- the solution I'm thinking of right now is the only way is to do one up them <laughs> when there's an appropriation of, you know, it, when lucky Lee's opens, you know, open a, a, a more authentic version of it, not necessarily leaning into the, uh, you know, aspects that you you feel disconnected from, but perhaps the unique perspective that you have as a second gen or, or whatever uh, to do what they're doing, but better. I, I see it more as competition rather than just accepting and perhaps and not I, mean, I don't think there's anything simply. wrong with that. There's nothing wrong with that. 
However, I'm just more action oriented. I'm, I'm, I'm trying to think of, you know, apart from internal or accepting it internally and I don't know, having a unique perspective on the situation compared to the rest of social media. I'm thinking there has to be, you know, and, and like the Hollywood example, right? They, they said, <laughs> this is, this is going to be super cheesy. People are going to hate this one, but like, you know, Shang-Chi, the, the superhero, it's like, if you don't see your representation on screen, you have to make it for yourself. And I know, I know a lot of people here probably don't like the representation. As I'm going to see Shang-Chi. Yeah, I mean, me too. <laughs> but, you know, from listening and, and from what I per- perceive to be the audience of Plan A, I, I think probably a lot of people are in the camp of representation as, as a goal by itself is, you know, incredibly corny and not enough, right? And, and I agree. No, it's not that. I think it's the same thing as cultural appropriation. It's not that it's corny and whatever. I think the way people talk about it is corny. Yeah, but I'm the, saying more the, so the that the underlying that's the com- issues are aspect. real and, and deep, you know? Sure, but yeah, sure. Yeah. Yeah. And, and so in my head, I think that's probably an example of a, a more proper response, according to me, you know, which is rather than just say, oh, there's a Black Panther and, and we don't have an Asian version. Kids growing up aren't going to be able to see themselves the same way, uh, you know, go go forth and make it. And, and I think everyone in, in charge of those projects are typically, you know, they're spearheaded by Asian directors, producers, whatever. Um, obviously, it's in a cynical view, it's still under the umbrella of Disney, right? So there's there's not a a moral victory there but there is some degree of satisfaction i would say that comes from that in comparison to just accepting it and crying in hmart i don't know no you're right i mean you're 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 proposing that we embrace the capitalist nature of america and go and compete and be a part of it and outcompete them yeah, if a white yeah. person's like, hey, oh, uh, Mahjong is an untapped market. Maybe it is. Maybe, in fact, it is. You should be the Asian person. <laughs> All right, don't, don't, don't quote me on this. You should be the, the Asian person selling Mahjong to white people if you feel strongly that for, for that, that need for acceptance of that one aspect of your culture. Yeah. Atin, let me, let me ask you this. If you're, if you're saying that this is inevitable in America, what, how is that different from people saying telling like Asians to like get over this like it I, I think it's different but can you articulate it well I think I'm not saying get over it in the sense of like you know stop caring about it I'm just saying you know I don't think that there isn't like going online and yelling about it and saying white people stay away from our culture is gonna work so yeah. that we need to get over that the the thing that people are saying on Twitter now like yeah, my my yeah culture is not your costume we need to get over that like thing where we still believe that we can like write rules around how white people are or you know americans at large are going to engage with our quote culture quote our culture i think we need to get over that but if what john's saying is all right well then let's accept the rules let's accept the reality of the system we live in and kick their asses at it and let's you know if a white guy's making ramen and selling it for like you know 20 bucks let's be david chang and go sell it for 35 dollars, right and on top of that let's fucking take over the food food tv business right like that's the that's the response within the capitalist system now my problem with that is not that people shouldn't do that or that that isn't a good thing i'm just saying that that in my opinion, y'all can disagree with me, but the 
it raises the emotional stakes around cultural appropriation as we understand it now. It makes the, the, the current sensitivities even higher. It's going to turn up the, the volume on this. And I don't have a problem with that, but I do have a problem with it if someone is personally not finding that a pleasant experience, right? Like, I don't want myself personally, I don't want to live in a society that is fighting over ethnic, ethnic uh, proprietary rights to who can make the best soup dumpling. And that is somehow very culturally meaningful. And there's a lot of stakes. And I'm personally invested in that because I just don't think it's worth the time. You know what I mean? And I would rather, for me personally, I'm not prescribing this. I'm just saying how I personally deal with it. Because I, you know, I did find myself kind of being like, damn, white people can just take your shit, you know, and just fucking, you know, and, you know, like, I used to get bothered when white people would try to speak Chinese on TV and everyone would give them huge props for it. I'm like, yo, that sounded like shit. What are you talking about? You know? But wasn't that because people had such low expectations? Like if, if people like say like clown them, wouldn't that be kind of entertaining? But wasn't it the praise, not the fact that they tried that was the problem? Um, yeah, it was just the definitely. overall, just, it was just, it, it was, the problem was just like, people don't know how to speak Chinese, but then they're still acting as if they do. And it. And the whole thing was just, I don't, I can't really explain why that bothers me. I think so it's much, that the bar like, is lower for white people, right? It's no, it's just that the bar is low in general. It's not that bar is low for white people, but high for Asian people. It's just like the bar in America is just low. It's like, I was just like, I'm not proud of this about America, you know? And uh, I guess what I'm saying is when I look at the ways that cultural appropriation still can make me a little uncomfortable, it doesn't as much anymore but i really do sympathize with people who get kind of worked up about it i understand that feeling in the pit of your stomach but what yeah. i'm saying to that is that feeling has a meaningful signal to it and the signal is not i'm this you know no one understands me i i am so marginalized and nobody sees me and they're just walking all over my culture no that feeling is, I think, a feeling that is sh that is universal to people who are assimilating into American culture. That is the process of assimilation, is my point. What we are experiencing in that moment is the age-old question that we've been grappling with for centuries in America, which is, what do we do with the traditional cultures that we bring over? What happens to that shit? That's the melting pot. you you, you got to throw it into the pot and just let it go. That is the model that we've been operating with for a long time now. And people don't feel comfortable with it, but that is the process. And so from there, I think that you could get over your personal frustrations with it and be like, oh, shit, I'm going through an American experience here. This is not an Asian American experience. This is not unique to me. Everyone has to go through this shit. You know? And right now, it just happens to be Asian stars because we're immigrating here in the largest numbers compared to other groups so if that makes sense you know would you say the same about like the commodification of black culture in america yeah for sure and they still feel very fucking weird about it you know what i mean like i i know a lot of people still feel weird about this idea that eminem is the goat the, the greatest of all time rapper and shit and 
you know, Macklemore winning the fucking Grammy for yeah. rapping some bullshit. And where is that guy anyway? Isn't he? Nowhere. Like still you see nowhere. He's, nowhere. Young. He's, he's not too old to be like he retired. Off. I don't know. Just, maybe people picked up on the bullshit, but. And they're still doing it. And I think that people, and I'm sure a lot of black people still that I talk to are still very like, oh, but what, but, the, but they, you know, ultimately I think they came to realize like, there's nothing I can do about this. There's nothing we can really do about it. So the question then is, okay, if there's nothing I can do about it, yeah, I think you can take the, 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 the there's two responses and I don't even think that they're mutually exclusive. You do both. One is, fuck it, I'm going to compete in this system. I'm going to accept the system for what it is and I'm going to compete and I'm going to use my Asian-ness as my competitive advantage. And that can work. That works in food for sure. I think yeah. white people would prefer that their fucking Asian food come from an Asian person. And we should, you know, people should stress that uh, in, in, in the way we sell food. But then, you know, like Eddie, Eddie Huang said, you know, uh, pay, you know, charge full price. Uh, that's number one, but then number two, and I don't need, I don't think it's an, or I think it's an, and is understand how this is, this is the core of the American experience. I mean, the second gen, I think sometimes we take for granted that we've been assimilated into America, that we as second gen, as American born Asians, that we have this, like, that just makes us full on Americans. And we get very defensive about that because, and I think we're, Second gen Asians are particularly defensive about it because deep down we know it's not true. That the second gen still, especially for Asians, still is a long way from fully assimilating into America. But the but the but the problem is like most of us are now too cut off from Asia to avoid this process. We are past the event horizon. There's no going back. So I yeah, think there's to, a lot of discomfort there. Yeah. To address John's point about competing in this what what is this kind of diverse capitalist market? I think a lot of people engaging in this fight have totally acknowledged that, and that, that's what they're fighting for. They are fighting for. I, I've referenced this concept of racial neoliberalism before in my writings. I think they know exactly what they're doing. So what they're upset about a cultural appropriation, I think, is that they're cut out of it. They want to be. Uh, they essentially want to be the middlemen, the Asian middlemen, or uh, and. And my whole attitude is that is not really a fight I want you to conscript me in. I don't think your aims are good. I don't think the envision you have for Asian American culture is good because what we see now, I think these are the people who have been in charge of setting us up, this Asian American culture for like the last few decades or so, is utter garbage. So that is my resistance to them. Like, I don't want any part of this and I don't want you drafting me into this war uh, and in fact, I will fight against you because I think the end result will be catastrophic. But what do you want then? Um, That's the hard think, part. Right. That is the hard part. I think whatever qualms we have about cultural appropriation, I mean, not to flatter us, but I think people in our camp have a much better view of what what is good uh, to pursue in this argument. So I, would, I, I want that point of view to take charge more than what I've been seeing in the last few years because – it's just making us all look silly. That's that's a big problem. And, and you know, like for every David Fromm, there is a smart, reasonable person saying, oh, yeah, this is kind of bullshit. And the problem is, yeah, the David Fromms can kind of sneak in like some some like louse, you know, through the, through the fibers. And that's why we have to pretty much I, I present some kind of alternative out there.
saying, yeah, at the core of this, there is there is some legitimacy, but let's let's be more honest about it and be more, uh, you know, as as you said, teens, just like ignore the noise, like cancel it out. I think part of the problem uh, for people, for Asian Americans, and how the anxiety that this produces um, has to do with a desire for us to reconnect with Asian culture in a meaningful way. And I think... Which is impossible, really. No, I don't think it's impossible. I think it's impossible... No, it's not impossible. I think it's impossible if we continue with this belief that cultural products and signifiers of culture are valid indicators of your... of your understanding and entanglement and participation in that culture. And so therefore I think we have to understand that Asian Americans, we are probably the greatest cultural appropriators of Asian culture of all. I mean, we kitchify the shit out of Asian culture. I was just in Chinatown at the Pearl river market. I mean, uh, Pearl river Mart. I was like, yo, this is all Asian Amer- Chinese Americans kitchifying Chinese culture and selling it as trinkets and posing as representatives of Chinese culture, or like a bridge, a cultural bridge. And I'm not saying that we are should not do that. They should make money. I'm glad that they're a retail institution in New York. Yeah, I'm like I'm the target demographic that. of all that. Yeah, exactly, right? But what I'm saying is that I think the only way for Asian Americans to I to to if if the desire is to have a meaningful connection to asian culture you got to have a connection to asian people you can't experience culture through products you can't you can't just drink boba tea watch k dramas listen to bts you know buy uh you know fucking posters and of asian art and put it on your walls you are no different than Burt Cooper trying to be Japanese. You're no different except you have an Asian face. Especially if you take the attitude as an Asian American that you don't want to you don't want to socialize with Asian people. Not what I mean by Asian people is like, you know, Asian people, not Asian Americans, but like Asian people or recent immigrants or whatever. On their terms, not your terms, on their terms. If you really want to know Asian culture, you got to embrace Asian people. But I think a lot of Asian Americans, because we are deep in the assimilation process, we are trying to create space between us and them on this mistaken belief that what we're trying to do is define an Asian American identity that's both not American and not Asian. I'm like, yo, you are in a, we are Americans. We are in the process of Americanizing. And that's that. But I think the reason we become so kitschy is because we realize that that deep part of the iceberg of culture is forever closed off to us because no matter how many uh like asian immigrants we hang out with there's so many formative experiences that we cannot have we can't travel back in time we cannot go to like a like for me i can't go to a korean elementary school i cannot go to a korean high school i cannot go into the korean military or or maybe they'll have me but i'm not going to do it <laughs> uh, but so, that's because no i agree with you but that's because we are we still think here in terms of identity which is a very personal thing and so it's like yeah i personally cannot become a authentic asian or whatever because i was born here or i spoke okay but that's cuz in america we keep fucking talking about identity 
uh, rather than culture, which is a social process. And so if you want to connect with Asian culture, you just connect with Asian people. That's all it means. You don't have to pres- – they're not going to be fooled by you trying to be – and they don't care. They're not going to be like, yeah, I'm not talking to this fucking guy. He's, in a, he's a fake Asian. They don't think like that. Not if you're like a, you know, a nice human being that is you know, actually trying to uh, <laughs> engage people. You know? like, you know? Yeah, but whatever comes out of that will be an Asian-American culture, which is what I was meaning when this whole thing – we we are under the, uh, some people at least are under the illusion that we're trying to define uh, Asianness and all that, which comes off as ridiculous. Because often we're we butt heads with people in Asia whether what is cultural appropriation or not. And the fact is, we're trying to define Asian American culture because that's all we can really do. Uh, we cannot de- we definitely can't be Asian, and, and you know, jury's out on whether we can be American or not. But we can definitely define Asian Americanness. And I think what that's do you mean what the this jury's is all about? out on whether we're American. It's that's a tautological thing. You, we are American. Period. I mean, you can claim you're Canadian, but you're living here. It's well, sure. Like, like by your passport, you're American. But in the in the sense, what you feel like? Do you, do you feel you know the sense where uh, I don't know. Let's say you're listening to like the the Stars and Stripes, and some some like white person whose uh, family has been here for generations. Uh, the same way they like identify with the the land in in kind of like a blood and soil way as like that as those like terms a, a sense of ownership over oh, yeah, this but, yeah. I think, uh, but i think those people are fucking deluded from my Wait, perspective people? My like the white people you mean yeah the people who have uh, white people who have a blood and soil feeling towards america i think they're fucking deluded well whatever whether they're deluded or not they feel it i mean you could yeah i mean you could you could be part of let, let's say like you're part of a country and then they like make a land grab and and um, you know who, whatever the, the no, borders okay. are uh, by international standards, like whatever you feel, that's essentially what your feeling of home and identity yeah, they're, is. They're, their feeling of homeland is limited to their little rural county, okay? Because if they come to New York City, they're going to feel very out of wa- uh, fish out of water here, whereas I might feel a blood and soil connection to New York City, quote unquote, blood and soil. But uh, and they may try to characterize that on Fox News that New York City is not really America. But shit, I mean, most of the American movies set in a city are set in like L.A. or New York, right? So what's more American? I mean, fuck them. I think there is still some sen- like sense of not belonging entirely. I think it has to do with to what? level of comfort. To what? To though? America I mean, as a concept. For, I mean, I know, but only in res- – I mean – yeah, but you know what? What I'm saying is that those white people have a similar feeling when it comes to the multicultural urban areas of of America. And I think in my mind, there that and- those are more. I mean, this is my opinion, but I think that if you look at the way the world looks at America, I mean, they they think more about New York and Los Angeles and shit than they do about some random rural county in the middle of fucking nowhere. But the thing that I'll know is that they feel a resentment toward the fact that they feel uncomfortable with certain parts that they feel ownership over, right? And I think the point that Chris is getting at is more so the the ability to feel so at ease in a certain environment is uniquely non, non-Asian American. I don't agree. I mean, it just depends where. It depends where, right? Because... There are many places in America that, like, you know, a good old white boy is not going to feel comfortable in. And I take pride in that, in in a sense of territoriality to say, like, yeah, you know, New York City is a place that a lot of these white boys are not going to feel comfortable in. They're not going to understand this place. I I think there's still something interesting about the 
the fact that there is a need to define what Asian American culture really is. Um, and I think that ties back, in, you know, going back into crying in HMR, I think so much of it is caught up in that sense of angst or feeling like you're, you're in between, um, which is where this whole discussion is coming from, right? Yeah, my question is, why is it so, why do we think it's so unique to us? Why do we think that we should go out and write books about the Asian American experience and then basically describe a process of cultural assimilation and loss that is probably no different in, 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 in its core essence as that experience by any other group that came to America, including Europeans? I agree, it's I a terribly boring story. I, well, it's, yeah. that, I think that question that you just asked is worth uh, investigating. I, I don't have an answer right off the top of my head, but I think there's something there. Well, Chris, what did you say? I thought that was, you said it was, it, it might make us. Oh, I said I agree. I think it's a terribly boring story and I would love it if we, we moved on to another form of, I don't know, self-narration about our community. Yeah. Or, or if we, if we didn't try to make, we, I just don't like the snowflake identity. I don't like this. I, I just don't like the hyper individualist notion of identity in America that what matters is what is inside of me because to me culture if you want to talk about culture it is not about what is inside of you it is about what exists between you and other people that's culture you america doesn't give a shit about culture it cares about identity and it cares about cultural products but it doesn't give a shit about cultural about culture and so i think this entire phrase cultural appropriation is bullshit it's cultural annihilation. It's cultural degradation. They're or maybe not, identity appropriation. Yeah, they're not stripping your culture. Uh, they're not taking your culture. They're degrading the notion of culture, not just yours, everyone's. You know, and, and so that's why I think for second gen Asians in particular, and maybe this is less for third because third are being raised in home in households that are led by second generation Americans who are already more culturally degraded, degraded. I'd say. Yeah. <laughs> They're going to have much you less know? of a stinky lunch narrative for sure. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, uh, but it's, it's and so they'll better, better prepare iron. the third generation for how to deal, for how to live in America. But for that second generation, we grew up in first generation homes. We grew up with a taste and a sense of what our culture was. So to, what, not even what our culture was, what culture is. Like, have you guys ever noticed that if you go to basically any first-generation home of immigrant, there is a sort of identification there? If I go to an Indian home or like a Greek home or a Lebanese home or even a Russian home, like a, a home that has brought a bit of traditional culture with it and is now in America, that as, like a, as a second-generation kid, I immediately understood what kind of thing was going on there. Even though I'm not Lebanese, even though I'm not, you know, whatever, I, I still see the same basic struggle, same basic thing going on. It doesn't really matter that, uh, you know, my parents are Chinese and that their parents are from the Middle East or whatever. There's still that same thing happening. You know what I mean? I agree with that. And so it just isn't that snowflakey. It's not... And, and I think that our obsession with identity in America is not doing us well, especially when we purport to care about culture. And I think we are seeing now, broadly speaking, in like a macro sense, the reassertion of this notion that America should have a culture and needs to have a culture. Um, 
you know, we can't just continue down this path of snowflake identitarianism, you know, people are jumping out of windows. It's not good. <laughs> so. Yeah, but maybe uh, that that was like the like the detente between all the different groups, because if you are running a country that is diverse, like a diverse democracy, it is things can get contentious, you know, when you when mm. you maybe elevate one culture over the other and, and, uh, and the bargain between all the groups was, well, then we'll have no culture. Uh, we'll have right. the artifice of culture and everyone can enjoy it. And that's how everyone will be happy because, hey, maybe maybe those Afghan refugees, we don't really like them. But hey, if they're if they're like rotis are really good, we'll like them. There, you know, that's such a good point, Chris. There was, and I, if you remember, like in our many years of being online together in these chat rooms, I used to share this um, article that was published in The Nation um, over a hundred years ago. Now it's 1915. It was published by a guy named Horace Callan, uh, and it was called. It's an. And we should link it. I'll send you the link. I, I, I want to put it in the show notes. It's called "Democracy Versus the Melting Pot." A study of American nationality, and it is a really well written essay that said that's basically saying at that time, at the beginning of the 20th century in America, you know when we had waves and waves of European immigrants coming, uh, but from you know non Anglo parts of Europe, um, there was a panic about what to do, and the the overriding belief then was the melting pot, the idea that all of these people should be basically um, washed of their traditional culture and made into this new man, this new American, whatever that is. And this article was saying, well, there's another school of thought called pluralism, which is to say, no, they should maintain their culture and adapt it as they see fit and maybe find a part of America that's that fits their culture. And so, for example, like a lot of Scandinavians found themselves in, uh, you know, the Upper Peninsula area of Michigan, because that reminded them of Scandinavia, and they could relate to the land the way that they did back home. If you notice, when Vietnamese came to America, a lot of them settled in uh, the Gulf area, uh, the, the, yeah, the, the, like, you know, Texas and uh, those areas, uh, because it uh, reminded them and resembled the environment from which they came. And so they can c continue uh, the same kind of farming and fishing and stuff that they did in Vietnam. They could do it in the American Gulf Coast. And there was a strong debate back then as to whether we should support the idea that people should not lose their traditional culture, but rather, because America is so big, find a spot in America that resembles your homeland and continue your culture, your cultural ways of living there, you know? And uh, I don't know how the fuck I got to this, but ba basically saying we did not take that route fully. Like we are still now still of the melting pot belief to say, you know, throw, throw your cultural markers into this giant pot and everyone can take from it. Now it's just a giant melting pot. Uh, you lose your particular rights to any of it, but then you yourself have full rights to all of it. And that's the trade. And that's why a lot of Asian Americans who we've now crossed the event horizon of assimilation into America, we feel the sudden vertigo of that when it happens. And then we get upset about the cultural appropriation. Why are you taking my things from me? Those are my things. And then what's the response? The response is, hey, are you not wearing Western clothes? Are you not speaking English? Are you not 
allowed to do anything that anyone else does. You can listen to, you can rap, you can sing white people songs. You can, you can cook white food at home or at a, we don't care. No one's going to scream cultural appropriation. If you become a chef at a, at a French restaurant and you're Asian, that's the deal. We get to use your shit. You get to use ours. That's the melting pot, you know? And, and I'm saying that that was the bargain for a long time. But if you go back to 1915, people were saying that might not be the right way to do it. Do, do you think we might still be coming up against that, which is, you know, the assimilationist versus enclave uh, argument here? You know, sounds like there's a good chunk of people who are anti-assimilation now. Um, I mean, that's do, what the whole like CRT debate is, right? Because that's what they'll accuse. CRT? Critical race theory. I mean, oh, oh, what, whatever it's called, whatever that means yeah, yeah. used in the media, because they'll they'll they call it like woke segregationism and and all that. Is that when you say they are they in support of kind of separation into enclaves or the assimilation? Well, that's what the critics of like the more conservative critics of CRT will say that these are the new racists because they are promoting segregationism, mm. but woke. Maybe it's the pendulum swinging in the opposite direction. I think it is. I think it is because I think people are realizing that they need we need culture. We need a system of relations, of social relations. That's all culture really is at the end of the day. I think we need to make when it comes to this cultural appropriation thing. I mean, we, we, we've all said a lot, but I think maybe we should maybe we should start paring down what we're saying to so it's clear what the takeaway should be. But for me, this the first thing that we got to do is distinguish cultural products from culture. I think that's the key error in the way we talk about cultural appropriation. They're not stealing our culture. They're taking away our cultural products and then asking us to basically destroy our culture or our ability to even have a culture, not just Asian culture, but any culture. You know, there is no strong system of social relations in America, which is why they call Americans the loneliest people. You know, and I and I and I think that's why the experience of going to foreign countries, no matter what country it is, have you guys experienced this? I'm sure both of you have traveled a bit. That going to countries in the quote old world, in Europe even, uh, or Asia or Africa, wherever you go, Latin America, that so long as there's a traditional culture, there's a certain kind of feeling to it. Kind of similar to what I was saying, like, you know, going to a first generation home. There's a certain kind of feeling to it that is common amongst those places that is at odds with a place like America or Canada or Australia, which is a settler colonial state, which is engaged in a lot of immigration and and this sort of post-nationalist identity where they did a melting pot thing and they just destroyed traditional cultures every time people showed up. Do you get? The, do you know what I mean? Like the difference between the similarities between, say, going to like I don't know, like Italy or Greece, with going to like China or Japan. Very different places, but there still is that way that traditional culture is infused into every aspect of society that just makes it feel very different. I don't I know. I think how it to elicits it. some some faux nostalgia. Is yeah. that what you're describing? No, it's not. Yeah, maybe nostalgia, but more for me, it's a a bit of. I mean, honestly, I feel like these people are more alive than us. You know, like 
you know, I feel like their culture is like more vibrant and there's more, it almost seems like to some extent, everyone knows each other, even though they don't, but there's a familiar, there's a, there's this ease of familiarity between people in that have traditional cultures where they, they're more quickly able to establish communications and relationships with each other. You know, like if your cousin in China or something takes you around, the way that they can interact with people, I don't know, I, this could just totally be me seeing things, but there is does something. That diminish, does that diminish, like say, even in those countries, like if there are more metropolitan areas, more cosmopolitan and more transient? Uh, and also in America, do you get closer to that if you go to like say smaller towns that are more homogenous and people don't really leave, and so you know, you've got like multiple generations living in the same place. Yeah, probably to some extent. Or I mean, it doesn't have to necessarily be like small towns, but like long established places. Like I think New York City has like neighborhoods. That. Yeah, like there's certain, certain neighborhoods, neighborhoods yeah. in New York City that have been around for a long time, and there's just a certain way of going of being in that neighborhood that's you're in harmony with the neighborhood and all the people in it, which is very different than the setting of a typical, you know, American suburb um, where you don't even really know your neighbors and shit and you're shopping at big chains and it's just totally the same thing repeated ad infinitum across the entire fucking country. Yeah. I mean, this is kind of off topic, but I think that's like the, one of the fundamental uh, cognitive dissonances over, over like the, the progressive ideal is always, no matter where you are, you pick up and you move to the to the big city, right? And where you'll find more people who are more like you and all that. Yet at the same time, you know, they they have this uh, idealization of, you know, non-gentrified places where people remain uh, where they are. And they're just, as you said, at more harmony with their settings. You know, grandma lives on the street. You, you, like your own kids, you know, live mm -hmm. near you and visit you every day. And they, you can't have both. You got, you know, it's like impossible. It's the theme um, song to Cheers. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I guess. I guess if you're filthy rich, maybe you can like afford you, multiple uh, generations of your family can live um, in like swanky parts of New York or something or some big city. But yeah, most people you're gonna have to probably uproot yourself. Yeah, no, that was a good discussion. I mean, I think I'm glad, John, that you proposed it because I, I I've wanted to talk about cultural appropriation for a long time. But you're right; it is a hard topic to talk about because I think there's just a lot of emotional sensitivity around it. The, different, the reason I wanted to talk about it now is because I think that we shouldn't necessarily gaslight other Asian Americans into thinking that their instinctive, that instinctive discomfort that comes from seeing white people wear Chinese clothing or Asian clothing or, you know, tattooing Asian character, you know, Asian language characters onto their skin or, you know, whatever that that should be diminished. Like, I think there is signal to that. And I actually think people that are very sensitive to that are picking up on something that we are not. Like, those of us that are not sensitive to it, it is not a virtue to be deaf and dumb to this. You know what I mean? It doesn't make you tougher or better because it doesn't bother you. It just makes you right. less sensitive. That's all it means. You're just less sensitive to it. And I wouldn't go around bragging that I can't smell shit. I wouldn't go around bragging that I can't hear shit. But somehow when it comes to cultural appropriation, we love to go around being like, I don't see what's the problem. I'm like, yeah, because you, you're, you're not sensitive to it. You're not picking up on it. Right? So I, I just wanted to dispel that myth, you know, because I think that is useful for people to hear because 
when you have an instinctive reaction to something, it is important for, for you to know whether to follow that instinct or whether to suppress it. And I don't think suppressing – I think suppressing it is the path of assimilation and digging into it uh, is the path of, re, of questioning American society. I do think this entire discussion is helpful for the the ones who are in the camp of either desensitized or feel like they don't care. Because, yeah, I mean, this entire discussion has been super helpful for me, where my reaction to a lot of it nowadays is I don't care, but also or it doesn't affect me as strongly as this person who is clearly affecting very much. Uh, But I also don't feel, thankfully, a need to contribute to the to the discussion or the conversation in a way that downplays Uh, what this person is feeling. Yeah. And the final thing I would have to say is I think the, I think there are people who have legit um, these like concerns for it, but you got, you got to be very careful. I think there are a lot of people who will take that. I I think there is this, I wish I mentioned this earlier, not just towards the end. I think there's this kind of like intra-class warfare going on between like elite Asian Americans who feel their place is threatened if the cultural products are taken away from their uh, their like posi- like their exclusive possession, and I think they are abusing and misdirecting a lot of this genuine uh, energy um, that people have, and I, I think if you are feeling that you, you know, make sure that you're not following the the wrong people, and always you know just be aware of, of what what your end goal is. Yeah. All right. Uh, John, thank man. you. Mm-hmm. Yeah, John, thank you uh, coming all the way here from your new place in downtown Brooklyn. Uh, you still live c- kind of close to me, but unfortunately, braving the hurricane. Oh wait, hurricane. where in Brooklyn do you live now? Uh, downtown Brooklyn near Dumbo. In what? Oh, uh, near Dumbo. Yeah. Du- what, what's downtown Brooklyn near Dumbo? Well, I guess Where's that's kind of where you used to live, Teen. Right. I was in Cobble Hill, like on Atlantic. Right, Island. south of Vinegar Hill. It's basically where the two oh, bridges con- okay. converge yeah. in Brooklyn. Gotcha, gotcha, gotcha. Yeah, Vinegar Hill is a cool area too. There's some cool shit there. Mm-hmm. Um, there's a really nice um, transformer station where all the power lines come in. I love that place. Oh, cool. <laughs> oh I walk by that uh, sometimes. I need to get your Rex, clearly. <laughs> no, there's some good restaurants around there for sure. Okay. All right. All right. Okay. Well, thank you, listeners, for joining in on this. We'll be back with you soon with another episode. So this is Chris, Teen, and John saying bye. Bye, everyone. See y'all. See ya. Oh, my God.